Yeah, good morning, brothers and sisters, and thank you so much, singers. Right? Um, it's good to be here once again. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're happy that you chose to come out and worship and fellowship with us. You know, you had to brave the traffic disruptions this morning as well. Right? So this morning, we continue with our series, All In. Right? And that's our 2020 theme as well. Today, our main scripture is taken from the book of Esther. Right? That's the Old Testament book of Esther. And it's Esther 4, and we're reading the entire chapter. Right? And the title of this morning's lesson is For Such a Time as This. Right? Um, I know that it was mentioned previously that some of our brothers, some of our brothers, some disciples, in, so I just wanted to share, um, I had a written announcement. Brothers and sisters, please keep the disciples in Haiti in prayer. Three disciples, along with the brother of another disciple, have been kidnapped, right? I mean, not good news, but you know, we trust in God that eventually um, they'll be set free, right? Um, let's go before Heavenly Father in prayer this time. Awesome God, merciful Father, um, I know that a lot has been happening this morning, God. There, you know, there's so much um, pro probably negative things. But we respect you, God. We recognize you as being sovereign. God, you have your hand in all things. Um, you allow certain things to happen. Sometimes we may not understand the reason why. But God, we can always place our trust and confidence in you. And the, the great thing about it is the passage that we are going to look at today, God. It shows um, your magnificence. It shows your splendor. You know, and how you work things out in the best possible way for your people, God. Father, you always hear our cries, and I want to agree with all the prayers that have been said before, oh God. You know, as we prayed for the family of our sister, Esther, who has departed this life. Thank you so much for her life. Thank you so much for her service to you. Thank you for her being an inspiration to the folks I'm just here in Junior share this morning, that before she died, she studied the Bible with someone and helped that person to become a Christian. That was so encouraging to me. Be with me this morning as I preach your word. Help me to preach your word confidently. Um, help me to use your spirit, you know, to lead our thoughts, God. And I pray that our hearts would change, you know, from the things that we learned this morning, God. Thank you again. We pray all these things in the wonderful name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So you guys can go ahead and turn your Bibles over to Esther chapter 4. And as I said, we'll be reading the entire chapter. And it's an interesting book. I know I've probably read it before, but I had to read it again this week. And it's not a long read, so I mean, I would encourage you guys, you know, if you're, if you're interested, you could go ahead and take a read of it sometime soon. But it's a really encouraging book, Esther. Um, but even before we begin to read, I'll just summarize the first three chapters, right? So we'll, we'll be able to pick it up in chapter four. Um, in chapter one, we are introduced to Xerxes and... Xerxes is the king of Persia. We may have seen movies um, with Xerxes in it, right? I know, I know you guys will be familiar, right? And it's about 483 to 482 BC. And the Persian Empire is the dominant empire in the world. They have conquered numerous kingdoms, right? And Xerxes hosts a banquet lasting seven days. And on the last day, he commands his queen, Queen Vashti, to come before him to display her beauty to the people and the other nobles. The thing about it, 
Queen Vashti refuses. And this doesn't usually happen. When the king calls you to come before his throne, you usually do. And some commentators suggest that this may be because she was pregnant at the time. Um, history records that soon after, Vashti gave birth to Artaxerxes. Right? And if you like history and stuff, um, you could go again and look at it. I mean, it's, it's a real interesting story. I have to do some background reading. Other commentators believe that since Xerxes and the men were in such high spirits from consuming wine, she didn't want to expose herself in such an, envir in a, in such a, an environment and degrade herself as a woman. But whatever the reason was, we recognize that Xerxes was furious and he actually removed her from her position as queen. In chapter two, and I just given you guys a summary. In chapter two, out of all the beautiful young women brought before him from all the realms of his empire, and I mean his empire was vast. I think it stretched from India to Kush at the time. Xerxes chose Esther to be his queen. Esther was a young Jewish woman who had lost both her parents, most likely when she was a child. So she was an orphan. She was also raised by her elder cousin, a guy by the name of Mordecai, who, of course, was also a Jew. Upon Mordecai's advice, Esther kept secret the fact that she was a Jew. She kept her family background and nationality a secret from those around her in the palace, including the king. In chapter 3, I introduced her a character by the name of Haman. Now, this guy is a wicked character. I mean, if you read Esther, you'll recognize Haman. Right? And he's elevated to a position over all the other nobles. Day after day, the, uh, the officials, um, when he entered the royal gates, they would bow and kneel, kneel down before him. And this is except for Mordecai. And I mean, I don't want to get into all the details of it, but the fact is that um, it's believed that um, Haman was a descendant of the Amalekites. And Mordecai was a member of the, well, the tribe of Benjamin. He was a descendant of Saul, and they, they had a, that clash. So this is a few that's going, spanning years. So more, the fact is, Jews back in those days, they did bow before the arm. Um, they did bow before certain officials. It was not a negative thing to do. But Mordecai did not bow before Haman. So Haman eventually got so enraged. He persuaded King Xerxes not only to, to kill Mordecai, but to wipe out all the Jews. All the Jews throughout the kingdom. So this was actually going to be genocide. Right? So we take up this story in chapter 4 of Esther. Give you guys a few seconds to get there. In verse 1 it says, When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gates, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of a sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hatak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. 
So Hatak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city, in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for the annihilation, which had been published in Susa to show it to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hatak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their lives. But thirty days have passed since I was called to go in to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Can you imagine what a time this must have been? What a terrifying time to be a Jew, right? And the thing is, prayerfully, the lesson we will learn from this today, when, you know, when I'm finished, is that no matter how distressing, hopeless, or dark a situation may seem, God always brings about relief and deliverance for his people. No matter how the story begins, in the end, God always wins. And so do his people. And in many instances, he uses people, he places people actually in positions of influence to act and accomplish his will. So the question for us today at the outset is, will we surrender and allow our Heavenly Father to use us for his own purposes? So just to recap a bit of Esther 4. Esther chapter 4 begins with Mordecai in great distress. He tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went about the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. You know, you can read that casually and bypass what's happening here. You know, but if you stop, meditate, and imagine it, your heart really goes out to the guy. I don't know about you guys, but it's not customary for me to see a big man crying loudly, bitterly, and particularly in public. He's not concerned who may be looking at him or who's laughing at him. At, in fact, I think his most, his, his most concern at this time is probably, I'm going to be killed violently, and so too are my people. And it's, just, and it's not just Mordecai who's, gonna be, who's, gonna, who's going through this actually, but many Jews in the provinces where the king's order was read. So imagine this, this situation throughout the province, you know, throughout the, actually the entire empire, Persian empire. There's great mourning, fasting, weeping among the Jews. And these are God's people. And one point I know that is interesting 
that the Jews are fasting in the book of Esther. Because when you read the book of Esther, you'll just, it's just a lot of, um, it's, it's lavish banquets, ceremonies, you know, um, just a vast wealth and splendor on display. And like I said before, you guys probably heard about King Xerxes. You'd have seen movies with them. But here you have God's people fasting. You know, sometimes as Christians, we can see situations like these in our own lives. You know, and we, we may think, you know, how could this be? Um, you may think, I've been faithful to God for over 10 years. I've been sacrificial my time, money, and other resources. Been reaching out to the lost at every opportunity. But you know what? People around me who are doing wrong, cheating, stealing, lying, they seem to be the ones who are getting ahead. And the thing is, I'm not. And just use, this is just a hypothetical situation. Things are at a standstill in my life. And you could ask, where are my blessings, God? You know, but sometimes you have to wait till the end of the story. You know, if you're a Christian today, and you're going through a really rough time right now, if you're feeling distressed or hopeless, I empathize with you. Yeah, I could share with you guys. I mean, I shared a lot. So you guys probably know some of these stories, you know, that I face. I shared publicly, and I shared privately with different people. Um, I think the last couple of years has been the toughest time of my life. I remember sharing that with a brother, and he was like, it, it's tough. But maybe, what if this is just the start of those types of challenges in your life? What if God is just testing you, refining you? I mean, the truth is I didn't want to hear him say that at the time. I mean, I really love him and saying, but at the time, that was really tough to hear. Um, it's been demanding in so many ways. I've had challenges in life, yeah, but not consistently and not um, a lot at the same time. Several challenges at the same time. You know, sometimes I get up. And I don't know how things are going to work out today. That's real hard. As I say, I never faced that before. You know? And what, I, what do I do? Um, I get up, do my best, constantly talk to God. I recognize it's faith in God that makes me act. If I was not a Christian, I really don't know what my consequences would be at this time. Um, when I reflect on the scriptures, pray. See the victories in the lives of others. Because I know other people are going through their challenges as well many, many challenges. I believe in God's love, his power, his wisdom. I really believe he's refining me. And the thing is, um, I'm not saying this to uh, feel sad or anything. Um, I recognize I, I need to grow in Christ. And this is just part of the course of being a Christian. You know, you have to endure sometimes. Um, in the book of James, it talks about persevering. As Christians, we need to persevere. Um, moving on. Esther learns about what's happening with Mordecai. And she too becomes deeply distressed. You know, that could happen to many of us. I'm a, I'm a person like that, right? Um, I feel a lot for others. If somebody shares something with me, I might sometimes go away and think about it, you know, kind of worry about it and stuff. She's deeply, she's deeply distressed. So she communicates back and forth with them through one of her attendants. Mordecai asks Esther to plead with King Xerxes for the Jews. But she's reluctant at first, fearing for her own life. But finally, he persuades her. In verse 12 to 14, it says, When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. 
Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such, for such a time as this. Um, this is like key. This is like key. If you, if you look at um, anybody who's talking about the book of Esther, for such a time as this, it's like a key verse in Esther. Um, I really like it. When he suggests to her, maybe, just maybe, she came to her royal position for such a time as this. He reminded her of, a human, of her human responsibility, despite God's sovereignty. And the thing is, there's a relationship between the two. Sometimes you think that, yeah, God will act, but you know God acts through people many times, in many instances. They work hand in hand, human responsibility and God's sovereignty. God uses people to accomplish his plans and for his glory, but he gives us free choice. Let's look at Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. So Ephesians 2 from verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you had any doubt about it, I hope this scripture clears it up. God created me, God created you to do good works. And God didn't place Esther in a position of queen to wear the finest clothes, be attended by servants, to look beautiful at all times, and experience all the perks that came with her office. Yes, she would experience that, but that was not his main intention. His intention was grander than Esther imagined, and Mordecai had to point it out to her. And you know what? It doesn't change today. God has similar expectations for you and for me. How is it going in seeking out God's purpose for your life? Are you honoring God with your in, in the areas that you can influence others with your gifts and abilities he has given to you? Or do you find it a personal inconvenience to serve him and others? We have to constantly examine ourselves and be honest as well. And I can share personally about this. Um, back in 2004, um, was a, really a, a turning point for me as a Christian. 2004, I think, um, you guys would remember there was a letter that came out, I think it was the previous year, from Henry Crete. And at that point in time, what, well, in 2004, what really ha what happened, um, Sean Barnes, he was like a father in the faith to me. And he left Trinidad, right? I'm, the last conversation I had with Sean, um, I think it was the Friday evening, and he was leaving the, sa the Saturday, right? And he shared with me, um, he recognized that was, it was tough for me, it was challenging for me, right? But he says, he says to me, um, maybe this is an opportunity for you to grow more. And he really encouraged me to give my, whoever was going to be, who was ever going to take the reins of leadership, to give my heart, you know, because I had served in the full-time ministry, um, been a disciple for, um, it would be like six years at a time. Um, the thing is, I was disappointed and hurt about some things. I'll be real, on, I'm going to be honest, right? And I did serve in different areas. I felt some things I feel like I wanted to serve in, um, benevolence, 
Um, I, did, I would have do short lessons at church. Um, the family group would have met at my home at the time. Um, but I, I did feel like I held back at different points. I remember um, when Tony came, I know at first we had um, the deacons and stuff serving, and Tony came. Can't remember the exact year. And I remember at different times Tony reached out to me, you know, but he and even the Nino when he went on staff. But a lot of times I really declined. You know, I was just feeling certain things in my heart, and I feel like I didn't want to be disappointed anymore. You know, so I, I really held back. I remember um, Bob Peterson, he really encouraged me. Um, he never gave up on me. You know, many times I sat in the, um, his gallery, and we just spoke about our life and a lot of things. The thing is, sometimes God gets your attention. A lot of times, you know. Um, a lot of people are, if you read the Bible, a lot of times people are reluctant to serve. Um, some of the great guys in the scriptures, Moses, you know, um, Jonah, you know, they, they run away. They shirk responsibility. But the thing is, God will get your attention. Um, I saw God's power and love through a really difficult time in my life, you know. And I recognize I've been given a lot. I've been given a lot in God's kingdom. When I became a disciple, um, there was so much, you know, that I received. I received a lot. Um, um, I realized it's really time to give back. And I've been inspired by people. And I'm going to mention two people who are deceased, but who were already dear to us. Bob Peterson and Mill Finley. I re during my rough time, these are like two people who, was who were really there for me. And even before that, they were heroes in the faith to me. I was blessed to experience their love, kindness, generosity, and hospitality. And I recognize, you know what? This has, to, this has to turn around, you know? I need to give my very best to God, all right? Um, so here I am today, you know? Striving to do my best. I'm not perfect, obviously, but I'm grateful to God, you know? Um, a lot of times you can think about the negatives that I, we have, we endure in life, but the thing is God blesses us in so many ways. His blessings outweigh the negatives that we face. You know, so this morning, let me ask you guys, how are we doing as a church when it comes to using our influence, gifts, skills to accomplish God's plans in these times? I always like to start with the positive, right? Um, I'll share the positive that I see for us as a church. Honestly, guys, um, it's easy to look at the negative things. That's the first thing that you see, you know? Um, if you have, well, I don't have any children, but if, you, if I, I observe parents, and if you observe parents, so many times they see the negative qualities in their children. And you know, they, that's the thing that they, they, they niggle at. But the truth is there are a lot of positives. Um, we do a lot of good. Even though we fall short and mess up individual, individually and collectively, um, you guys are awesome. Sometimes it's hard to, you might, you might think that way, right? You might feel that it's hard to believe, but it's true. And this is just not my personal feeling. This is how your heavenly father feels. Once you are a disciple and you're in the fight. And an area that I really appreciate about our church pretty recently has been disciples in motion, recovery, and grief journey. This is just a real need at present. You know, um, and I could quote the, the, um, the phrase in Esther again, you know, for such a time as this. This is me and Junior was up here pouring out his heart a while ago. Um, 
If you feel stuck in any area, where there's finances, purity, depression, you're dealing with grief. You know, disciples in motion, I can put a plug in for it. It's, it can be a tremendous help. And I mean, I don't know the full story. I kind of think it's, you know, Alan was able to communicate with Tim Summerlin at the time. And thanks to the shepherds for inviting Tim to train that, you know, to share the things that we've been learning in the DIM. I think we have come a long way as a church in dealing with issues such as mental health and grief. Because there were times that um, we didn't venture to these places. And even if we did venture, it might have been in a, in a really harsh way. But the truth is, this is important because we have a diverse membership. And more and more persons are going to come in into our fellowship and they're going to face different challenges. They're going to come with different challenges. Right? Um, another area that I believe we are generally strong in as a church and make good use of is being warm and personable. We can easily draw people in. You know, we are great at conversations. Sometimes too good. You know, if I always, if you put a disciple in front of a mic, I mean, it's all over for the most part. In this church, I, I'm a person, I mean, I like to write stuff. I'm not a big talker. But coming into, into the fellowship over the years, I've been able to express myself better. Why? Because of the people around me. You could, we could really hold a conversation. Um, we can tell a story. The story could be real negative, you know. I know that we lying or anything to gloss it up, but when they finish hearing that story, you're encouraged. Um, we have a nice sense of humor, except maybe for some of the guys who come up in front and do messages and stuff. Generally, we have a nice sense of humor, and we are polite as well. And sometimes we could take these things for granted, you know, um, but people don't get the things that we get in the church. Um, personal sharing. When I first became a disciple, I was encouraged by these scriptures. I was really, I really appreciated the things that I was learning. This is back in 1998, huh? it'll be 22 years in September. So I'm gonna just share um, my journey in becoming a disciple, I'll share it quickly, right? I met a disciple on the streets of Port been one Saturday, and he asked me if I, I will actually at first thought was somebody asking for money again, so I was kind of challenged, right? But he was, he actually asked me if I, if I had a few minutes to spare, and he did a lightning would study with me, right? I came out to church on Sunday, Monday was my birthday, um, when I'm, I still met, I met with them every day of the week, huh? I met with them on Monday, they gave me a card, and I kind of go into this quickly because I realized you don't have much time because we started um, kind of late. Um, I got a card and a socks. You know, these guys don't know me from any, they don't know me, right? Tuesday, I was invited into um, one of his sister's households for Bible talk, and I studied the Bible. Wednesday, midweek, where I was introduced to a lot of people, and in some faces, I, I, um, I seen around, but I didn't know them, but I saw them around before. Um, Thursday and Friday, study. Saturday morning, I met with these guys early. There was a wedding on the Saturday, and I was, I was in someone's home from that, that early Saturday morning. I asked them a lot of questions, and my questions were answered. I even took part in some of the wedding preparations. I don't know these guys, huh? just a few days, but why? I could relate to them. You know, the things that they shared, I experienced it as well. They were well open with me. And I think that is a plus that we have as Christians. Um, Sunday, church, and baptism. 
So it's like eight or nine days. You know, and one of the things that really put these guys were relatable to me. Um, I'll share quickly again something I was really encouraged by. Last November, for the Hope Week of Service, I had the experience of visiting a home for senior citizens in Santa Cruz. I probably got there, well, the people were there earlier than me, I probably got there about five and we stayed for just one hour. It was heartening to see how the brothers and sisters interacted with the senior citizens. All different, different disciples, brothers, sisters, young converts, you know, older disciples, um, even the children who came, they were, who were present, they sang carols to some of the elderly folks. You know, and I, I just felt I was so encouraging. So brothers and sisters, let's not take for granted what we have to offer. What are the areas that require improvement? Um, and remember, we are focusing on allowing God to use us to accomplish as well, through our influence, gifts, and skills. Um, I was, I'll just ask you guys to look at Romans 12, 9 to 13, right? No, you don't have to look at it now, right? Because in the interest of time. Um, you know, it, it talks about being devoted to one another. Um, the thing about it, we all crave belonging. We want to be part of something. You know, God gave us one another. We are to carry each other's burdens, care for each other, care for each other's practical needs, warn each other of sin, and rejoice together. You know, one of the things I think that we really need to work on is building deeper community. Life has become demanding. Most people have more responsibility. People are getting older. The dynamics have changed. If you think about it, what you were back in 2000, you're not the same now. It's 20 years, right? And maybe even like 2005, you know, it's different. The dynamics are changing. People have their parents, you know, their parents getting older, they may have to take care of parents, you know? But if we are not careful, we can suffer as a community collectively and particular groups in the community can suffer, right? We have to make time to get more and more involved in the lives of one another. It means sacrificing and better planning. Personally, I need to drop some things, which, and these things are classified as good. It's not like I go in and run down a set of money outside or something. You know, these things are classified as good, but the thing a brother has been shared with me is to focus on one or two things, you know, so that, and focus on the major things. Right? Um, God is all about relationships. And don't make it overwhelming. Start small. Right? I'm going to go through this quickly. Spend time outside of church with a young convert. It's easy to do it. Some, well, sometimes it's easy to do it in church. You see each other. You can spend a little five minutes or ten minutes and talk. But there's nothing like spending time outside of church. You know? Doing something that um, you guys enjoy doing. Someone who is not in a family group. I just showing all these challenges. Someone you didn't even study the Bible with. Get out of your comfort zone and build a friendship with a young convert. They need it. You know, and eventually they'll, they'll grow, they'll mature, and they, they have so much to give back. One brother that I'm really proud of is Ronnie Archibald. You know, I always think, always think about Ronnie. You know, he's, he's been around supporting me as well. Um, second area that I could share you know, when it comes to building deeper community, and I'm just keeping it real, right? I liked Carolyn's Calypso last Sunday. The singles cry. I think a lot of us liked it, you know? If you were not here, um, Caroline, 
sang about sing the singer's plights in finding a romantic partner. And some people might laugh, but this is a real, this is a real issue, you know? Um, but what I can share, one of our most powerful allies in dating and romantic relationships is community. You know, it's a funny thing, right? In our church in Trinidad, and even some disciples I interacted with um, from abroad, for some people who are happily married for years, believe it or not, it was never love at first sight. Right? I remember a sister sharing, and it was real funny. Right? Um, what she thought about her husband before she became interested in him. Um, it was so funny. I won't share the details. But you know, he actually tried to defend himself, but he was unsuccessful. And it's no one here, by the way, they actually live abroad. Right? But what made her change her mindset? One thing would probably be the disciples around them. The other brothers and sisters involved in their lives saw deeper than what she was looking at. They saw his character and potential and the fact that she could help him with the peripheral areas that was unattractive to her. And today, they are happily married for many years. They are an amazing couple doing incredible things, not only in their area, but in different areas. And their children are disciples as well. When it comes to dating and courtship in the church, I believe this is an area where the married couples can exert influence. You guys have been through it. You know what it, what it is like, right? And as I said, this is, this is a real talk. We are family, and we can openly talk about issues like this. Um, you know the single brother, and you don't have to be pushy. You don't have to be pushy, but you know the single brothers and sisters who are close to you, right? Talk to them. Ask how things are going. Offer advice if they are open to it. And go on double dates with them. You know, the thing, interesting thing is our brother shared, I think it's our other brother or sister shared this at our um, family group meet, leaders meeting on Wednesday. And that was something that was real on my heart. I was wondering, should I share this in church, boy? And when, when she shared it, I spoke to her husband afterwards and I said, yeah, I need to share it. This is all about community, you know? Um, some things have changed over the years, huh? There's now online and video dating. So we have access to singles from all different parts of the world. But you know what? Some things never change. Chivalry, modesty, proper etiquette. And this is where you can help the singles greatly, right? So enough said there. Um, quickly, on building deeper community, right? And there might be some overlap from what I, some of the things I spoke about. But I encourage you older men to teach the younger men, right? And this is not just updating. This is a generally, right? Teach them to be godly. And similarly, the older woman to teach the younger woman, just as Paul wrote in Titus. And again, I'll hold up high, Bob Peterson and Mill Finley in this area. And for the younger folks, let me offer you some advice. Put yourself in a position to learn, right? Um, we have some amazing young people in this church, eh? people who are reliable. I think about the guys in the tech ministry. You know, they are here every Sunday very early, setting up the acts, what help you could get. And if I have to do a lesson and stuff, um, I might send them a PowerPoint presentation and they'll format it, they'll edit it, and, because I will not have the time sometimes, and so many things they help with, right? Um, I want to lift up LaShawn King as well. LaShawn is a guy. 
who really goes after, you know, he listens, boy, to the, old, the older heads. Um, we got to spend a lot of time because we go to studies and stuff, right? I always hear about Marvin, Marvin Andrews. I thought I knew Marvin, but when I hear LeSean, LeSean is always about Marvin. Marvin this, Marvin told me this. Marvin told me to sing this way, to do this, right? And he also talks about Nino a lot. He's, he's encouraged, you know? And you can see it, how he gives his heart. You know, um, teen devotional on Friday, LeSean was like, I mean, the other teen workers helped out, and they? But LeSean was like the man running the show. I remember LeSean, but he's a teen worker now, I should say. He transitioned from being a teen. Um, so many teens ask me for him, like the visiting teens. Um, is LeSean going to come? He's leaving, he's going to come back. Because he's, he's a real heart. Even at teen camp, he really gives his heart. You know, as I said, we have some amazing, and this is just one person, but we have some amazing young people among us. And the second area, I think we need to stamp or influence on more and more as Christians is seeking and saving the lost. I think it was Donna who was praying about it. Somebody spoke about it or prayed about it. Um, God has given us everything that we need to make an impact in our modern day. We have the word, prayer, and his Holy Spirit. And guys, I mean, we came here today and we just heard a lot of things. And there's no sugar, this, this, like, this is what I wrote down this, huh? there's no sugar coating it. We live in terrible times. Um, that's just the reality that we face. I'm not even speaking about what's happening internationally. Just here in Trinidad and Tobago, in our home country, it's, it's terrible. Crime is prevalent. I mean, nobody, I don't know if anybody feels safe anymore. That's the truth. And the murder rate has spiraled way out of control. The perpetrators are both innocent bystanders, you know, are casualties as well. There has been a spate of domestic violence against women, and even children have been killed. Um, you just need to read the papers. Road rage is like, wow. Yesterday I left home in Santa Cruz, and I was probably out for one hour, just in San Juan, and there were three near collisions. Why? Nobody wants to wait. Nobody wants to wait for a couple seconds. I'm always asking myself, where are they in such a hurry to go? You know? Um, I was going to share a lot more on these things, but just be time, right? But the thing is, um, no politician, judiciary, or law enforcement agency can really curb the lawlessness. Unless the hearts of men change, things will continue to remain the same. And this is where we come in as disciples of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes I think, if I can just help one guy, one guy who was going to do something wrong, that would just, that's just enough, you know? If I could just use the scriptures to help one guy to turn his life around. You never know. You never know. You never know how God could use you to spare a mother, a father, or even a family great pain. Brothers and sisters, let us do more in reaching out to a hurting world. Finally, back in the book of Esther. I kind of rush it down because of time. You know, um, it happens sometimes. Um... In the book of Esther, what happens to Mordecai, Esther, and their fellow Jews? Are they wiped out? You could go and read the details if you like. There's also a movie, I think I saw, I was looking at a little movie yesterday on, it, um, on YouTube. But the thing about movies, they're not always historically accurate. Because I picked up some things, right? Um, here's what happened. I'll give you guys a quick summary. Esther makes a request to King Xerxes to spare the lives of the Jews. Mordecai is honored by the king 
for exposing the earlier plot to assassinate the king. Right? Haman is hanged. The wicked Haman is hanged. The Jews are granted permission to protect themselves and they strike down all their enemies. You know, and um, there's a celebration that was sparked because of what happened at this time. The Jews began a celebration. They began celebrating a new festival because of God's mighty act of deliverance. And that celebration is called Purim, right? It's still celebrated today. And in fact, it's so um, interesting that it's going to begin on the evening of March 9th this year. I think it lasts for one, one evening here. Yeah. Purim, because of what God did for them. An outstanding feature of the book of Esther is God is never mentioned, not even once. But God's sovereign rule is assumed at every point. And you know, as Christians, in our own lives, we may feel like God is not with us. We may think that he has abandoned us at times. I don't know what you guys may be going through today. Maybe you're struggling with finances, facing health issues, family conflicts and crisis, or a hostile work environment. And you know what? These issues can be difficult to deal with. But what I can share with you this morning, take heart. The scriptures assure us that God is ever-present and brings us victory as we remain faithful. He will move heaven and earth. There's a song that said, and I really like that song. He will move heaven and earth for those who belong to him. Today and for the rest of our lives, let us live in service to our heavenly Father and true King. I love you guys. God bless.